join me and thank these folks again for leading us in worship today. What a great job they did. Amen. I want to say and thank y'all so much. They put a lot of hard work, of course, practice and things like that. But over the course of the past year, during our pandemic and the old things we're dealing with, uh, these folks have just been such a blessing because of the fact that they have worked very diligently. And not only have they worked diligently in preparation, but they've been present. They've been here and helped and rotated. And back when it was just Steve and myself, Last Easter, there was nobody. We were it, wasn't we? We had folks sing, Marty, and, and guys sing. But I mean, it's just good to be in a room with people this Easter. Amen? Really, as I told the 9 o'clock service, too, which was very well attended as well, that um, it's just a blessing to be in a room with people this Easter. And, and we're, we've been taught a lot of lessons in the past 12, 13 months. But one of the lessons I hope we've learned that we never forget is a lesson of not taking anything for granted. Amen? Uh, that every breath, every day, especially every Lord's Day, is such a gift from God, we should never take it for granted. Hebrews chapter 1, I'll invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me today, the Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll be looking at a few first few opening verses of that chapter. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we're taking a little bit of a detour from our journey through Psalm 119 today which we'll pick back up next week and complete that chapter but nevertheless we're just grateful to God for the son of God who gave himself for us and also that we might have a copy of the word of God to be able to read be able to study and be able to worship together as we learn its truth with other believers amen Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 if you found your place and physically able would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what the Word of God says. He says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past uh, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person in upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high Father in Jesus name I pray you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word today may the son of God be glorified through the faithful proclamation of his word today in Jesus name Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject of the resume of our Redeemer, his qualification and his overcoming victory there at the grave. I really enjoy reading and studying the book of Hebrews because it's a very intriguing book to me. It brings together all of those shadows from the Old Testament and brings them into substance in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. Contained within the pages of the book of Hebrews is the story of a Savior who is better. He's better than anything or anyone who has ever lived. And in fact, the word better is the key word to the study and unlocking the truth contained in the book of Hebrews because we're reminded that there are better things on the way. We find on these pages a testimony of a better sacrifice in the person of Jesus. Also, he's a better priest, our great high priest. We have 
a better inheritance on the way. We have a better home, one not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Some theologians refer to the book of Hebrews as the orphan epistle due to the fact that no human author is named. Now there are a lot of ideas and there's some spirited conversation between theologians over who was the human vehicle which was inspired by God to pen the words of the book of Hebrews. But I believe it's rather fitting that this book whose sole purpose is to exalt Christ would have no human author named. The true divine author signed his name in the very first word of the very first verse of the very first chapter. You know, most people write a letter and sign their name at the end. God just signed his name at the front so you wouldn't have any doubt who was the author of that book. It's very clear that this epistle reveals to us what we have in a Savior and how he is greater than anything we can comprehend and that he is the authentic Son of God. Webster's Dictionary defines the word authentic as something or someone that is genuine or official. Without a doubt, Jesus Christ is the genuine. He is the official Son of God who came to give his life for all who will trust him by faith. I love the way John MacArthur describes him when he says these words. He says, Jesus Christ came from the bosom of the Father to the woman. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became the Son of Man that we might become the sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born, and that was in his childhood. He had no wealth or influence. He neither had any training or education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet all the libraries in the world could not contain the stories about him. He never wrote a song, yet he furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together could not boast of the many students that he has. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors of the world have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy. He is the rock of geology. He is the lion and the lamb of zoology, <clears throat> and he is the harmonizer of all discords and the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. And he echoes the words of the great preacher you heard on the way in, S.M. Lockridge from days gone by. Herod couldn't heal him. Satan couldn't stand him. Death couldn't destroy him. But the grave couldn't hold him. That's the kind of Savior that we're talking about today. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that God has chosen to speak to us and speak to us at a specific time in these last days and he has chosen to speak to us through a specific person by his son in these last days by his son 
You see, Jesus came to fulfill all the prophet, prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. He did not come to destroy the law, but yet he came to fulfill it. And this age of fulfillment began with the birth of Jesus and will not be completed until we enter the eternal heavens. So why was it so important that God chose to speak to the world through his son? Well, I believe it's because God himself is fully expressed in the person of his son. He is infinitely superior to all created beings for he is God who has been manifest in the flesh, fully God yet fully man. He is the final revelation of God in whom all the promises of God are fulfilled. You see a great deal of debate concerning Christ and what he has to do with us is ever present in our world. Some would argue this, that he's merely a great teacher. Some would say he was a very, very effective leader. But I want you to know others that even say he was just a healer or a miracle worker. Many would argue that he was a fake, a criminal, or maybe even a political revolutionary. There's a vast array of human ideas of who Jesus is, but the Word of God teaches us some things very clearly about who he is and what he came to do. So notice with me as we walk through these verses today and we talk about and we read the scriptural writing of his resume. Gives us his qualifications and his value. Maybe we can see just what a wonderful Savior we serve today. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 2, we read about his worth or his value, if you will, where the Bible says that he was appointed heir to all things, and through him also he has made the worlds. In verses 2 and 3, the writer of Hebrews makes several, a matter of fact, seven statements about the Lord Jesus Christ. And each of these statements really drive home for us just who he is. The first two of those statements declare his worth or value. And let's speak about those. The Bible says he is the heir of all things, which reminds us of his preeminence. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them dominion over everything. They didn't have to want for a thing. Everything was theirs for the taking. But when they sinned, they lost that dominion. There was a consequence for their sin. Too often in our world today, people don't want to realize, recognize, or even pay the price of consequence for direct rebellion against God or authority. You know, I can be going down the road here today on the interstate, and it says 70 miles an hour, and if I do as my custom, I'm doing a little more than that. Like all you good Baptists, amen? I got things to do, right? And, and, and if the policeman turns on the, the blue light behind me, I've got a choice. I've got a free will. I can submit to the authority, or I can say, you know what, no big deal. I do what I want to do, and I can keep going. I'll be on the 5 o'clock news, and they will stuff and cuff me. Amen? And then I will have to pay a greater fine and a greater consequence because of my extended rebellion. But when what I should do is expect, respect the authority because let me tell you where there's an authority. There's authority in the badge. There's authority in the people behind him. And there's also authority in that little yellow ticket book. Amen? And they give you the pink copy to remind you you're going to need some Pepto-Bismol for the ride home, right? 
No, I'm telling you, it's important that we understand there is consequence for rebellion. See, when Jesus came, he came not only to save us from our sins, but he came that we might be the ones who inherit all of the things that he inherits. See, he inherited the right to be Lord of all things according to the scripture. See, the Bible teaches us of his preeminence and reminds us how that he should be always be number one. There is no other place that he should be and no other person or no other thing should be in his place. Reminds me of what took place in Mark chapter 2, and you know the story well, where this man got so sick that he couldn't get to the doctor, he couldn't get any help, but thank God he had some friends, four good friends. These friends loved him so much and were so concerned about his physical healing that they heard a rumor that Jesus was in the house. And they weren't just going to accept the rumor, they went to check it out, and they came back with a report. And the report was, yep, he's there. And there was such a crowd uh, that they couldn't even get to the door, and you know the story how they let him down through the roof and got him into the presence of Jesus so that he could receive healing for his physical ailment. <clears throat> you see, when Jesus was in the house, he wasn't just present in the house, he wasn't just prominent in the house, but he was preeminent in the house. Listen, what I want you to know in this house and in every church today, we've got a choice to make whether we're just going to accept a his presence is good enough or maybe his prominence will be okay but I want you to know he will not be satisfied or will not accept any other position than the place of preeminence can never forget that I don't know where we got away from that but somewhere along the way we did and we got more concerned about things that don't matter instead of what does matter he is the heir of all things and here's the good news the good news is this that because he is the heir of all things, if you're a child of God today, repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as Savior, the Bible says that you are a joint heir with him. That's good news. Do you know what that means? Everything he owns, everything that's at his disposal is yours. I'm telling you, the world needs to hear that today and they need to understand that. We share in his grace right now on this side of eternity but the best news is, as much as we enjoy sharing in his grace, very soon we will share in his glory. I'll never forget hearing Jerry Vines preaching one time about sharing in the glory of God. And he was talking about when he was president of the Southern Baptist Convention and got in, invited to the White House when Reagan was president. Yep, then was the good days. But anyhow, just if you're checking, just seeing if you listen. But anyhow, he got invited to the house when Reagan was president. And he was in line to go into the big state dinner there. And as they introduced each of the people, he was in line behind uh, the pre right. I mean, excuse me, right in front of the president. So as he was there about to go in, they introduced him and his wife, and then they introduced the president. And all the people were standing for the president. And he said, "We just walked right in, and we were sharing in Reagan's glory." He said, but you know what? It made me think about one day that I'm going to share in the glory of someone that doesn't sit in the Oval Office but sits on the throne of glory, amen? I'm going to share in the glory of not one who was elected to an office but one who went to Calvary's cross and bled and died for my sins. Someday I will share in glory that will never, ever end. He wasn't just the heir of all things, but notice another statement. It says, through whom also he made the worlds, which tells us about his power. 
Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities and powers, all things were created through him and are for him. Ladies and gentlemen, we never need to forget the fact that the way this world came into being was not by a big bang or a big splash or some kind of weird uh, celestial happenings. What happened was is that the very sovereign God of the universe stepped out onto the edge of this galaxy and he spoke. And the world was created through the spoken word of a sovereign and holy God. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you today, we never need to forget that. And at creation, we believe with all of our heart that Jesus Christ, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, along with God the Father, were all three present at creation. You know how I know? Because in the book of Genesis, when they created man, it was God who said, let us make man in our own image and he reached down and got a handful of dirt so the next time your husband starts thinking he's all that sweetheart just tell him you came from a lump of clay like everybody else okay he took a handful of dirt and he formed a man and he fashioned him in his own image and he breathed breath into his nostrils and he became a living soul you say do you believe that absolutely it is he who has power to give life it is he who has power to take it away he is the one who created all things and all things were made by him and for him he is a very worthy and a highly valuable redeemer notice with me also let's look in verse 3 talking about his witness the next three statements give evidence to his witness notice what the scripture says who being the brightness of his glory Speaking of his character, I think I've done knocked my little fuzzy thing off again. Because uh, I hear myself breathing. I'm thinking, man, you know what's bad when a fat boy starts breathing hard? Amen. That's bad. Y'all going, dear God, somebody get him a mask on. <laughs> oh, he talks about his character, who being in the brightness of his glory. You know what this statement means? It means he was literally the outshining of his glory. Now think about this. I didn't even tell them this in the first service, so this is new. Uh, well, not new, but uh, new to y'all. And uh, y'all getting something they didn't get, so y'all owe them $5 after church, right? On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, who are they with? Jesus. That's good. It's the best Sunday school answer you can ever come up with, right? Try Jesus. It'd probably be close most of the time, all right? It was Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and right in their presence the Lord is transfigured. You say, what does that mean? That means that metamorphosis occurred. All of the glory that was on the inside became visible on the outside. Can you imagine what that was like? To see all of the glory and the splendor of Jesus Christ that was within him to be revealed to them on the outside. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, he is the son. He reveals the integrity and the character of God the Father. And when we look at Jesus, we behold the glory of God. 
Oh, ladies and gentlemen, today I want you to know everybody thinks what about got different ideas about what this world needs and what needs to happen and different things. I tell you what needs to happen is this world needs to get a fresh view of Jesus Christ, needs to get a new value on the sovereignty of God, and needs to fall flat on our face in the altars of God and cry out to God to fix this mess. I'm convinced he's the only way. I am absolutely convinced he is the only way. And then the scripture said that he is the express image of his person means he's a direct copy. This means that his nature and substance is exact reproduction of the Son of God, the nature of God. And if you want to know what God's like, you got to look at the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was telling them in the first service we found some old videotapes of our children when they were little. And I've just watched myself silly on those things. This is probably a bad time since they're both getting married. I, I'm not a super emotional person, but, <laughs> ooh, it's been tough. And, um, you know, little Christmases, oh, I got a bicycle. Sissy, did you get a bicycle too? You know, and just, just them just having the best time. And I can remember just the other day, Brooke was watching them. You know, she's my blonde hair, green eye like her mama. And Kate, she's brown eye, brown hair like me. And Brooke looked at Caitlin and said, Caitlin, look at them videos. When you was a little girl, you looked just like Daddy. I was okay with that. But y'all not going to believe this. Brooke said it with a tone like she really felt sorry for her. It's like, how terrible to have to go through the rest of your life looking like that, you know. But this is not talking about a physical representation. This is a spiritual representation that when you look at the testimony of Jesus, he reveals the character of God the Father. He tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In verse 14, I love it, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Say, wait a minute, this Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ, He became flesh, and we dwelt among us. That meant John said, I saw Him, I felt Him, I touched Him, I walked with Him. You know what I did? I beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You remember... Our friend Thomas, John chapter 14, excuse me, yes. He began to ask a question of Jesus when Jesus began to tell them. John chapter 13, he began to predict that he would soon be crucified. He would not be with them much longer. Verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He's giving them some comfort. He said, in my Father's house many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also he's giving them comfort 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 and all of a sudden here's Thomas and everybody gives him a bad rap and says you know he's such a doubter he ought to be ashamed he's always asking questions but really he, he wasn't so much a doubter as he was just looking for what you and I want he wanted some proof wanted some application, wanted, wanted to be able to say, wait a minute, he wanted to know that what he was being told he could hang his hat on, he wanted to know where to go, and he said, wait a minute, Jesus we don't know the way you know, I believe he was honest, because some of us today there are many people who don't know the way that think they do, 
Thomas says, we don't know the way. And Jesus said those words you know well. John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, which is a verse where Jesus clearly dispels every doctrine of the world that says you can get to heaven some other way than through him. He makes it very clear that if you want to get to the Father and you want to spend eternity with the Father, you must come through him. But then we have a conversation that takes place between Jesus and <clears throat> Philip. Verse 7, he said, If you had known me, here's Jesus speaking, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, look at me, you've seen him. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. He said, you know, there's something missing. We need to see him. We need to touch him. We need to feel him. Show us the Father. And then Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He said, Philip, have I been with you so long that you've gotten so used to me? I've become common to you. There's a word for the church today, isn't it? Uh, th that we've sung the songs and we've memorized the words and we know the Sunday school answers and we know the church lingo. And we've been involved with that so long that we've missed the most important part and that is to know him and make him known. God help us today in the church in the 21st century in this days that we're living in and the days that we're ministering in with all the difficulties we have. May we never forget that our mission is to know him and make him known and never get so used to him and things become so common that we take what is holy and we just make it common. God help us. Then he talks about these words when he says he's upholding all things by the word of his power, he talks about his capacity. How strong is he? How much can he handle? These words teach us that he is the one who sustains and maintains all things. Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You know what that means? He's literally holding it all together. You remember the little song we used to learn way back in the 70s? He got the whole in his hand. Y'all remember that one? Come on, Chad. Help me out. You're the singer now. He got the whole wide world. Where you at, Marty? In his hands. He got the whole world. In his hands. He got the whole world in his hand. He got you and me, brother. In his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hand. You believe that? I do. And you know what? That song's not just a little jingle that somebody thought sounds good. Right here's the scripture. By him, all things consist. He's holding everything together. You say, wait a minute, you gotta help me out now. If he's holding everything together, why is everything such a mess? Why is our nation in a mess? I know some people think it's all great and groovy, but I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if we've ever cried out to God for safety, security, stability, and for a vision for tomorrow to stay true to the gospel, we need it now. I'll tell you why. Even though it may look like a mess, he's still got the whole world in his hands. 
I shared it earlier and I'll share it with you too. Uh, there's some things just scientifically that prove it's all in his hands. In our universe today, I learned this over here at the Cleveland County Elementary School that the sun provides both heat and light for earth. Aren't y'all amazed? Look at, look at my knowledge. Look at my knowledge. Now, y'all all know that. That's common. Heat and light have been provided by the sun. Now, here's what I learned about the sun. Surface temperature is 12,000 degrees. That heat and light has to travel 93 million miles to get to us. That's a little further than it is from here to Fruithurst, right? 12,000 degrees, a little hotter than it'll be at the beach. Now, it might feel like 12,000 degrees this summer, but it's not. But listen, it takes it being exactly that temperature and exactly this distance to sustain life on earth because here's what we know. If, it, if our planet was just a little closer, we'd all burn up. If it was just a little further away, we'd all freeze to death. Sounds like to me we've got a world maker involved in this thing. The earth is tilted on its axis at exactly 23 degrees. 23 degrees. You say, well, what's the difference? What if it was 24? What if it was 21? What if it was 25? Well, it's no accident that it's at 23 degrees because with it being tilted at 23 degrees, that allows us to experience all four seasons. Football, baseball, basketball, and hunting, right? All four seasons. Those ones that matter, right? But we have our seasons because of the tilt of the earth. If it were not tilted at this exact angle, vapors from the ocean would move north and south and would create huge continents, not caps, but continents of ice. If the moon did not keep its exact distance from the earth as it orbits the earth, the dry ground of this continent we live on in every continent would be flooded twice a day. I mean, by the time you got drinking your coffee, you'd get flooded. And by the time you got, I mean, it would be impossible for human life to sustain. If the ocean floors were just a little deeper, the carbon and oxygen balance would be so upset that no plant or animal life could exist. And if our atmosphere were to lose its current density, we would constantly be bombarded by meteors that could easily destroy this planet. Seems like to me somebody's got it under control. See, you can't pass a stimulus package or nothing else through Congress that's going to take care of that kind of stuff, right? Only God can do that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter who agrees, whether you're partisan, bipartisan, or don't care partisan. It does not matter when this thing is in God's hands. That's what matters. So how does the universe keep this tight balance? Well, Jesus sustains and monitors all its movements and actions. Notice with me finally, if you would. It says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had by himself purged our sins, speaking of his faithfulness, these last two statements tell us about his finished work on Calvary's cross. You see, the writer of Hebrews begins to shift his attention. The Holy Spirit has moved his attention from creation to Calvary. It's amazing to consider how Jesus created and sustains the world, but the greatest work he ever accomplished was the work of redemption on Calvary's cross. It was something that could not be accomplished any other way. And I want you to know the key word. Key words, and I said them to you in the opening reading, are the words, by himself. 
I'd underline them. I'd remind myself daily that this is what he did. When John Phillips was preaching on this subject, a lady came to the end of the service and said to him, said, Brother Phillips, said the translation I have doesn't have the words by himself in it. And he said, ma'am, I'd get me a pen out and write them in real fast. And he said, you need to know he did this by himself. He was not assisted by the government. He was not assisted by the kings of the earth. They all wanted to, to destroy him forever. The king of kings and the Lord of lords took upon himself all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our punishment that should have been ours, and he won the victory by himself. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm reminded this morning at the sunrise service, just as the sun was coming up, and oh my, can I say what a beautiful sunrise on this Easter Sunday morning. And I shared with our group there from Luke 24, it's one of my favorite one of the gospel writers as he talks about what happened when the ladies went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus they were expecting to find a rock there but wasn't there the tomb wasn't closed anymore or sealed it was open they were expecting to find the body of Jesus but guess what wasn't there still not there not ever going to be there again amen so he's there, and they're there together, and they're beginning to experience all this. And they ran back to the 11. Remember, only John was there at the, at, at the cross. The rest of them were in hiding or doing something. I don't know what they were doing. Probably waiting on the Georgia Bulldogs to win the championship. I don't know, but anyhow. I say that for my Georgia friends. They're, they're still bitter. But anyhow, I, no. No, 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 he was... They were, they were nowhere to be found and the ladies look here the ladies look here brothers listen to me brothers it was the ladies who showed up the old boys were hiding and they come back and they said look here we went in there and it, it's all we found he's not there I don't know what happened I don't know if they stole him I don't know what's happened and look here of all of them you know what I'm sure they stood around and you know what they did they had a Baptist committee meeting well, I don't know. What should we do? I don't know. Let's get an estimator involved. Let's do that. Let's do this. Let's take three bids and let's have a vote next Sunday morning. No. When they were all sitting around there reasoning, figuring out what to do, the Bible says this. But Peter, I like Peter, don't y'all? I know some of y'all like, man, I don't like that guy. He's always messing up. He was always in it. But you know one thing he didn't do? He didn't sit back there and wonder what in the world was going on. He got busy. He, he was a man of action. And we need more people like that. We need some more people of action. And I don't need a vote on that either. I know. I can tell you we do. Look here. So Peter goes. And guess what Peter finds? exactly what they told him and you, can you imagine what went through Peter's mind when he's like this you know what he told us he was going to do this he told us if they destroy this temple in three days he'd raise it up he kept telling us and telling us and telling us what was going to happen to him he was going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified well, we didn't believe him but look here now and after the resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, you read John chapter 21, that beautiful story of restoration. Peter, a man who was away, a man who uh, broke the heart of Jesus, a man who was away from God and doing everything. But you know what he did? He was restored. Why? And on the day of Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He became a spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, it was him who God chose to preach when 3,000 people were added to the church. I'd say he was a restored man of God. Amen. 
God help us. But Jesus dealt with our sin problem once for all. That we might be able to communicate with God. Listen, this is why I tell you to pray so much. I tell you to pray for a lot of reasons, but here's the number one reason. is because it costs God everything for you to be able to communicate with him. It costs God the blood of his dear son for you to have fellowship with him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When you talk to God, don't ever think, well, I've tried everything else. I guess the only thing we've got left to do is pray. Oh, I pray that way you approach prayer is, is not that I've tried everything else, but I haven't tried anything until I talk to God. God help us. Notice with me the last part of that verse. It says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It speaks of the fulfillment of Scripture. Forty days after the resurrection, Christ walked with his disciples out to the Mount of Olives. He ascended back to heaven. When he did, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. My good friend John Lemons, he He's, he's been to Israel. He sent me a picture from the Mount of Olives. And he said, this is where he went up. And this is where he's going to come back down. That'll humble you, won't it? To know you're standing in the place where Jesus was gathered with those disciples, those 11. As he began to speak, he began to lose gravitational force send it back into the clouds and the Bible said the cloud received him out of their sight and two men in white apparel stood around and said oh men of Galilee why are you standing gazing into heaven for this same Jesus that you see taken from you today will so come in like manner ladies and gentlemen this today is a portrait a written, printed resume of the qualifications and value of our Redeemer. We have found him today to not just be prominent, but to be preeminent in all of his offices. We found him to be a prophet, the final spokesman for God. We have seen him as a priest, atoning and interceding for his children. We have seen him as a king, controlling and sustaining seated on the throne ladies and gentlemen today I present to you the only one qualified to be an all sufficient savior the darling son of God Jesus Christ Mark chapter 15 at the crucifixion of Jesus as they were standing there and beholding what took place on Calvary's cross there was a centurion that stood by, an unbeliever. The centurion, as he viewed what took place at Calvary, was asked this question. What do you think about him? What do you think about him? And here's what he said in Mark 15, 39. He says, truly, this man was the son of In the old King James it says this, What think ye of Christ? 
And I think we've got to answer that question today. What do we think about him? What do we know about him? And who is he to you and me? To some people, he's just a leader. Some people a healer. Some people a teacher. But Josh McDowell, the great apologist, said this. So when you read scripture, you've got to determine he is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Well, the liar's out because he can't, he can't lie. He's not a lunatic. He was more mentally sound than anybody in this room today. Anybody ever lived. So with those two out, guess what he's got to be? Lord. He is Lord. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask your blessing right now, this time we're gathered. Father, you know the hearts of every person in this room. And you know right now where every person is scheduled to spend eternity based on their past decisions. Today, Father, many, I pray, have made the right decision to repent of their sins and trust you as Savior. But yet, Father, I'm confident that there are others today They've yet to realize just who you are and what you came to do. But you can be trusted. You're authentic. You're real. Today, Father, may somebody find you at the same place many of us found you at the end of ourselves and at the foot of the cross. May some, may they repent of their sin trust your Savior and Father may you receive glory in every decision that will be made today and every day we're going to give you glory in Jesus name Amen I want you to stand with me today I'm going to do something we haven't been able to do in a long time because we've dealt with a lot of things and I want you to know today that this is because we love you Jesus when he declared anything of his teaching anything of the word anything about the father anything about eternity whenever he touched somebody's life or healed them he always invited them to follow him I believe that's very important so we're going to sing a couple of verses of this old old song I can remember watching Billy Graham Old George Beverly Shea would walk out there with a microphone. He would lead this song. Thousands of people streamed to find life in Jesus. I know we're still at the end. I hope toward the end of this pandemic. Who knows? Because I told him in the first service, I'm really having a hard time doing ministry six feet apart. Somebody ought to write a song about that there, right? But if you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus where you spend eternity is more important to me than anything where you live and walk with God is so important if you're a child of God and you just say you know I'm just not where I used to be I've, I've really allowed some things to get in my way and if you have I want you to hear me this preacher's not throwing a rock at you I'm throwing a rope to you I'm not here to put you down because that's something that can happen
clear to me this is the place he'd have me to serve, me and my family. If you want to make that public today, you can. I'm just tired of being scared. Man, I'm tired of ministering in a scared world. I hadn't been really scared, but I'm just tired of having to hold back. Because I've never been real good at that. It's been really tough. If you need to make a decision for Jesus, I invite you to come today. Maybe your child of God and say, I just need to find me a place just to get beside the cross, the altar, just call out to God because I'm concerned. I am no more than concerned. I am hurt. We invite you to do as the Lord leads you today. Marty, lead us when you're ready. second we're going to dismiss here briefly but you know what's good is to just hear the body of Christ stand together and just sing amen you know of all the things I have had to deal with through this pandemic leading through it and and there's been no manual there's still not one but you know when they came out with things says you know they're going to have to stop singing y'all remember that one I thought boy that's going that ain't ever going to work you know because you know what I can't help but sing. We sing a little chorus here. It says, how can I keep from singing his praise? How can I ever get enough? How amazing is your love? I can't stop singing. And then they're like, well, we're going to have to be careful. And we might have to even stop preaching because of the, you know, the spit or whatever. I thought, well, a lot of places, that's no danger. Around here, it's pretty dangerous. But I mean, but here's the thing there's all these different things and we've had to deal with all this but aren't you glad that it's still been in his hands and that by him all things consist and he's upholding all things and I want you to go out of here knowing that today let me remind you what's ahead for the week it's spring break this week and every teacher said hallelujah amen amen the first service they were like cheering doing dances I don't know what 
Uh, but uh, you kids, I know you're excited too. I always enjoyed spring break. We used to call it AEA week. I don't know what happened to that. I mean, you say, well, I moved to Georgia. I say, well, when's AEA week? And they're like, what is that? And I, me, I'm like, y'all wouldn't understand. Uh, but anyhow, uh, do remember this week, there's no Wednesday night activities this week. I want you to have a great week. And I hope you enjoy yourself, have some time. I hope you can spend some time with your family if you could and can. That would be great. So spring break week this week, next Sunday, 9 and 1030. Uh, do remember that. If anything changes, we'll keep up, keep you updated. You'll notice from our worship guide here today, too, our, our ministry assistant's on vacation this week. So we'll be in and out checking things. If you need anything, if, uh, if you can always leave a message for us. You can call me. You can call your family deacon. Whatever you need to do, if you have any uh, any emergencies or anything like that, please uh, know we're still here for you 100%, okay? So don't forget those things. Look forward to worshiping coming week. I hope you'll go out this week, and I hope you'll go tell somebody about it. I hope you'll invite somebody to join you next week, and I hope that you'll be faithful to what God's called you to do because he loves you. And never forget, church, I love you, and there's not a thing you can do to stop me. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Marty's going to sing us out. I'm going to go around and be out in the porch there so I can shake hands with you and thank you for coming. God bless.